Bonjour and bienvenue to Lulabelle's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou, and in this podcast, I will help you to keep your Frenchy vibes flattering and lose yourself in France without even leaving home. In each episode, we chat about our French experiences with guests who live in Australia, in France, and right around the world, and we share ideas for how to satisfy the Francophile within you. Now, Francophilers can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Francophile Fix, where I post little movies and clips to keep us all connected to France. Find the link to the Francophile Fix YouTube channel in the show notes from today's episode, as well as the Little Bells Francophiles website, Instagram, and a fabulous Frenchie Spotify playlist. Alors, aujourd'hui, my guest spends her days in one of my fave parts of France, in Provence. Ashley is a photographer who, together with her partner, Robin, is currently sharing the story of their wonderful renovation project of an old barn on her blog and socials titled Curious Provence. Bienvenue to the Little Bells Francophiles, Ashley. Ça va? Oui, ça va très bien. Merci. Oh, oui, bien. Now, your social media pics and posts, they are just so wonderful for helping me feel like I'm kind of right there with you in Provence. I'm setting a table for an apéro with friends or checking out the views across a valley. So firstly, I just want to say merci beaucoup for that. Oh, with pleasure. It's such a pleasure to share the beauty of this area. And actually with my work, I travel a lot. So I kind of make use of that by one day I'm in the Louvre on Gord for a photo shoot or I'm painting in a field in Igalier or I'm in Uzes for a photo shoot. So it's kind of fun. Uh, I get to see all kinds of parts of Provence and the south of France through my work. So. Oh, well, I'm so glad that you share that with us. I see that you are Canadian. How did you come to be living your French life in Provence now? Well, do you want the long story or the short We one? got time, babe. We can take that however long you want. <laughs> it is a bit of a long story and I kind of have to sh- – tell you maybe about how I met Robin because that's it's his fault that I'm here right Um, (laughs) so he's French no he's actually British a lot of uh, expats here they marry Frenchmen Mm -hmm. a lot of my friends here they marry Frenchmen but no I've got a British one so go figure (laughs) (laughs) I was 19 just turned 19 and I was going to school in Florence Italy for a year and I was painting and I had a month between terms Mm -hmm. And I found a cooking school in the south of France. And I'd never been to France before. So I showed up to this cooking school three days early. I arrived on May 1st, which I didn't realize uh, was Labor Day in France. And this means that literally everything is closed. <laughs> so I arrived at this youth hostel in the countryside in Carcassonne. And typical North American arrived with this massive suitcase uh, stupidly and Robin is staying is the only other person at the youth hostel and he helps me with my bags and I realized that he has chocolate and wine and I have nothing to consume so he shared his chocolate and his wine <laughs> I probably ate and drank too much uh-huh. of it <laughs> and we got talking he was very refreshing a Brit after all the uh, forward Italians mm-hmm. I started asking him way too many questions um, which he was like very old-fashioned like oh that's very odd of you to be so intrusive <laughs> but anyways I, I tried to kiss him in a vineyard and he ran away from me told me I was too young for him and this was then a challenge 
Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I went to the cooking school after I left a little note in his cereal box saying I liked him. And he picked me up on weekends. And anyway, that turned into a wine school, but that's another story. It's probably the best month of my life. <laughs> he followed me after that month to back to Italy. And then he tried to follow me back to Canada, but it was just a little difficult because he had just turned 30. And with the Commonwealth system, you can get visas quite easily under 30. Otherwise, no. So anyways, wow. five years of long distance relationship yeah. and somebody had to move. And it was going to be me because I love Europe anyway. Yeah. And I couldn't handle the weather in England and he wanted to leave. And he is absolutely obsessed with France and always has been. So I really didn't have a choice. Yes. <laughs> I wanted Italy, but he, he won. Um, south of France, at least we're close. But yes. in hindsight, I'm actually not, I'm certainly not complaining. No. And uh, we put an ad on Gumtree, yeah. a young couple looking for work in Southern France. And this crazy American lady responded. She had five chateaux and she sent us these pictures of the chateau. And basically what she wanted was a gardien couple, which mm -hmm. is basically glorified baby, glorified house. Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, yes. And so we arrive and she had sent us these photos from the 80s when the chateau was in these magazines all over the place. And oh. we get there and it was completely decrepit like oh, holes in the ceilings nice. it had been basically left to ruin because they had all these chateaux but no money oh, no. to upkeep them they didn't even have plumbing in the chateau so she used to carry up this 18th century vase up to her bedroom <gasps> she was kind of like miss havisham she had this massive black curly hair oh. and spiders crawling in it oh, because no, there, was so many, really? there was so many cobwebs in the house <laughs> friends with Pavarotti and she was she was a character and a half I could just write a book about that experience yes but yes that first year was quite an eye-opener it was uh, we were in the countryside alone as you can imagine they weren't there very often because of no plumbing yes and very little electricity so we had a, like a guardian cottage but yeah we were very much kind of thrown into the deep end there <laughs> so how did you end up where you are now with your own barn in Provence well we did a a kind of a stint at another place for another mm. year as guardians that was completely different. It was all uh, tourism related. So that was interesting because right. we got to learn a lot about the industry here. Yes. And then we managed to scrape together enough money to buy a house, which yeah. we had to do uh, cash because we had no credit in another country. And <laughs> we were actually on that really corny show, House Hunters International um, in the States, which was quite funny. Where ah. we, uh, and we renovated the house from start to finish. And it was a tiny house. It was 38 square meters. Mm. And the before and after was really radical. And then, uh, so yeah, during that time, I was actually working on the market, um, which was great because it mean, meant that I could learn French really well. Yes. Because they used to make fun of my accent so much that you really learn how to correct <laughs> your yes, accent. Yes, right. Actually, I was going to ask you about that. Were you fluent at all when you got here? Are you from the French-speaking part of Canada? Yeah, I should have been. Mm -hmm. But I, so I'm English from French Canada, mm -hmm. and I'm probably the last generation that uh, didn't speak have perfect fluid French because I went to a public school when I was in junior school and mm -hmm. then for high school I went to a private English school and the mm -hmm. private English school they had very little 
French, where nowadays it's all half and half, like science is in French and so on. But it also means I don't have a Quebecois accent when I speak French. Yes, so they can't pick that. So do you have an accent now? I definitely have a little accent for sure, not like Robin. He has a British accent speaking French, which is somewhat adorable. I have to be worried when he's at bars next to French ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. I definitely do have a little accent, yes, but uh, I don't know, pretty good. As with the second language that you're always learning, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. As I said before, Mm -hmm. you have some wonderfully dreamy pics of beautiful tables for Apo and the the light shifting across Provence villages in some of them. You have Old Stone Villages and Market Produce and your photos just have a way of transporting people Mm -hmm. away, I think. You clearly have a love for where you live, even though your first choice was Italy initially. Oh, How did you? I'm absolutely in love with Provence. I couldn't do what I I do every day. So how did you develop that that affection and love for Provence when it wasn't something that you always just had within you? Yes, well, I think uh, through food, I imagine, was the first and gardening. So that first year... I love plants. I used to work at a florist in mm-hmm. Montreal. I just love plants and flowers. And that first year, I'm, I had to, this massive project of a 30 by 30 meter potager. Oh, <laughs> really? And just discovering food. Uh, I am very French now in how I eat. Like if I'm at an American restaurant and they serve butter and bread before the meal, I'm kind of like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I've become very... Uh, very French and how I eat. And yes, it's just a love of history as well. It's everywhere here, especially Provence. It's such yes. interesting history. Oui, oui, it and is. Lifestyle as well. The values here, I, I love that it's not all about money, money, money. You know, and that, that's actually one of the reasons that we moved here is that we wanted to have a good quality of life without necessarily having to make 100k a year or whatever you know yeah Yeah. there are some things that can't be measured by the amount of money that's involved and I think Mm -hmm. that happiness and a quality of life are definitely those things so now you're renovating and that I know would be costing some money tell me not about the money side of it but tell me about that (laughs) tell me about renovating in Provence well, so we in Provence in general, but our project that we bought the house uh, three years ago, that's kind of a, an, an old farmhouse mm-hmm. that has two barns on it. And quite frankly, I think we might have bitten off more than we can chew. Oh, <laughs> but, really? <laughs> unfortunately, we, have, we want to put everything back the way it should be. So, for example, yes. the roofs were redone in the 50s with the ugly new tiles and we've been taking them off and putting the old tiles on and we just finished just about finished actually robin's still working on it today but our rental which will be a two-bedroom two-bathroom rental um, i saw that it looks like crazy we work seven days a week since february well, you can tell it's just fab. It's so, oh, so you. wonderful. In fact, I was uh, looking to see how I can book already. I mean, it just looks that good. You just want to get there. <laughs> That's the problem. Away. I haven't even had time to take pictures yet. <laughs> uh, people are nagging me on social media. Yes, I do need to do that. But uh, our problem is that we we like expensive things. And we have expensive tastes. So I was just basically shooting myself in the foot with these. We picked the most beautiful stone that you could get and yeah. the most, you know, yeah. just... <laughs> 
I did yeah. notice though that you are doing a lot of things where you're you're bringing back the original features and you're actually mm-hmm. using the processes that were done when the house or the barn or whatever it was before was originally built. You make it look so simple though. I'm sure that it's not all smooth sailing. Have you had any disasters? Oh, there's lots of little disasters for mm. sure with Renault. Mm. <laughs> and I think I don't, uh, it's hard for me to, because uh, it's been such a long process because Robin's doing it literally 98% of it on his own. Yeah. That it's hard to kind of post about it every day because it, it moves so slowly. So yes. I probably don't show, you know, the uh, shoveling of holes and such that is <laughs> yeah. breaking and whatever. It may not be interesting. But uh, I think the biggest disaster is just how we totally under-budgeted at the beginning. Uh, Robin just kept moving the goalposts because he's so passionate about the old materials and, you know, oak beams and, you know, Pierre de Bourgoin floors. Yeah. And you know, But before we knew it, we realized, ah, we're, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah. kind of a little... You're right in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's something that a lot of people comment about when they start a renovation some people yes. call them money pits, and I kind of find that a little bit offensive. I think, no, 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 all of this is worth it. They're not a money pit. Whatever you spend mm-hmm. is going to be worth it. But there are other people who say to me, yeah, I just didn't expect it was going to be so much. But then there's a mm-hmm. whole other way of thinking where some people say, actually, it's not as much as it would cost to do that same kind of work in Australia. I'm not sure about the States and Canada, but in Australia, it's more expensive to do the works that you would be doing over there. The the um yes. the actual mm-hmm. the materials don't cost as much. You know, it's it's not the cost that we envisage over here. Yes, that's true. That's mm. true for sure. Mm. Um, I think, and also, it's difficult to get French workmen, especially you know south of France. And I don't know if you've read the Peter Mail books, but it is very true to life that they kind of show up when they feel like it and. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) and there is a definitely a foreigner tax they do tend to double the price if they hear an accent yeah yeah so you should do the talking (laughs) not robin yeah yeah (laughs) so you're a photographer as we said before probably why the dreamy pigs that i drool all over what type of photography Mm -hmm. do you focus on usually well, I do. So I part of living in Provence is that you kind of have to do many things unless you're in farming because it's so seasonal. So we do definitely have a tourist season. Mm-hmm. So I do focus on um, Provence vacation portraits mm-hmm. mostly, mm-hmm. which is basically beautiful family photo shoots or couples photo shoots, my favorite because I'm a romantic, mm-hmm. um, in the countryside in, in lavender or... Uh, olive groves are actually my favorite. Um, poppy fields, gorgeous, that type of thing. I have a weird niche for proposals. Ah. I even had a couple of Australian ones where the the man will contact me in advance, and he'll basically ask me to organize it in terms of he'll tell me if he wants a view or something private or something you know specific. And I'll tell him where to be and I'll pretend to be a tourist and I'll capture the moment, which is oh, very that stressful. Is gorgeous. <laughs> How fantastic. Is, it's really fun. Mm. <laughs> I think uh, Robin hasn't proposed yet because he's probably worried that I keep doing these gorgeous proposals for other people. But <laughs> 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 anyway, I, actually, also, I do a lot of rose photography, so mm-hmm. wine photography, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. Yeah. 
and hotels and houses, but also I do, uh, I sell quite a lot of oil paintings in the winter. Uh So when I have more time off in the winter, I do plain era oil paintings and ink drawings. And I'm going to have a couple exhibitions next year, so I need to get on it because I haven't got anything to show at the moment. Fantastic. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you because you said you went to Italy to to study art and, and painting whether or not you still are keeping that up. Has Provence encouraged you to alter the way you view the world as an artist or even as a photographer? Um, As an artist, so before I moved here, I did very uh, fine art, black and white, nude photography, portraits of nuns, like completely different what I do now is definitely more commercial mm-hmm. and I actually like to get back to that more artsy aspect of things, but because of my curious Provence page is so beautiful pictures of Provence. I mean, the problem is Provence is almost too pretty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is there such a thing as Doing... too pretty? No. It's, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I, I'd like to do more. Um, Earthiness kind of, maybe. Yes. Earth, oh, that's good. I love that word. Yes. Mm. Uh, but I think I need to do a separate page. So I, I do so many things. Again, I do uh, Provence itineraries for people. Mm-hmm. And I used to do um, market tours. And up until I think I've got maybe my last one, well, even though I have a hard time saying no. Mm. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, because I used to work in the market. So it's kind of fun because I know all the people. Yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of knowledge is pretty hard to find. So I'm sure you'd be under a lot of, um, I'm sure you'd be in great demand for that. Yes, I don't advertise anywhere other than my site. I don't do any third party any things because I've, I've noticed that uh, the people that come to me directly seem to all be really lovely. Yeah. But if I get, I work with a hotel, it's a totally different client. Yeah. Well, when I've been reading your articles and looking through the socials, one question that keeps coming back to me and that I want to ask is, what does a normal average day look like for you as each day looks to be so different from the last? But I don't know that I can because it's just you've got so much going on that I'm sure every day is vastly different from the next. It is absolutely. I get this question relatively often, actually, mm. and yes, it is every day very different. Mm. However, I mean, in, there is you can definitely separate it into months. Like for example, July, I am a slave to lavender. Yes, you would be. Yes, <laughs> I'm yes. driving, you know, five a.m. in the morning every morning and seven p.m. at night every mm. night, an mm. hour into the Louvre to take yeah. beautiful photos of lavender and people in lavender. Yeah. I'm very mean. I make people get up for sunrise. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's worth it. You know, that's it's the show. It's absolutely worth it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So you found a lovely rhythm to your Provence life then in some ways, a routine with the months. I suppose. I suppose in the winter, things are quieter. There's more painting happening, um, more time for reflection mm. because in the summer it's so busy. But at first, I didn't actually like how it was so seasonal. I found the winter to be almost too quiet. But now I love it. I need the the time to decompress. Yes. Yes. uh, Yeah. I think to stay in that hyper state consistently Mm -hmm. forever would be exhausting, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it'd be lovely to have that quiet time when it's like when you have everybody in your house for Christmas and then all of a sudden the <laughs> yeah. next day you've only just got your people that live there go, it's just us now. 
And that's kind of nice mm-hmm. in some ways. It's probably a similar kind of thing. You've got everyone in the world all in Provence at the same time and then all of a sudden it's just us. It's just my locals, mm-hmm. just my normal peeps that live here after that, which mm-hmm. is kind of a lovely day. We are lucky in Provence in terms of the tourism is much longer than certain areas of France, for mm-hmm. example. There's still a lot of people that come here in October because it's still beautiful yes. you know, in, and it starts as early as, as April, whereas mm-hmm. other parts of France it can just be June, July, August, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I do prefer where you are in that late September, October time or the early time because I'm not yes. big on the heat. So those times mm-hmm. are really lovely to me. Although I do miss the lavender. I don't get to see the lavender when I go in those other times. Yeah. Well, it's, it's always something flowering at, yeah. <laughs> in Provence. Yeah. It's, so it's in February, you have the almond blossom and then the cherry blossom and then then you have got apricot blossom. And then, and then in May you have the poppies. Yes, the and poppies. Then, yeah, you know. So it's uh, we always have something. Now there's lots of wild fennel on the roadsides. So it's not necessarily a crop, but it's still very pretty. Oh, how lovely! Yes, it does sound dreamy just with the way you're talking about it. <laughs> it yeah. is dreamy. It is dreamy. Yeah. Now tell me about where you live. What's the closest village? What's the area around where you spend every day like? So I live in the Alpi region, mm-hmm. which is a regional park similar to the Lubron mm-hmm. in the fact that it's a mountain range as well as a park. Um, and I'm 10 minutes from Saint-Rémy-de-Provence, which oh, is famous for Market Day on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And my village is tiny. It's like going back in time. It's quite funny. It's very different than Saint-Rémy. Um, really? There's still people horseback riding everywhere on the weekends. And there's a guy who has a pet donkey who brings it to the cafe, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> there's lots of hunting that goes on, uh, especially right now. It's kind of scary early morning on the weekend. But um, I love this region because it's known for olives and olive trees mm. are my absolute favorite. Mm. So as soon as you go into the park, it's uh, just thousands and thousands of olive trees and grapevines uh, and almonds, whereas the Lubron, which I'm in quite often as well for photography, would be more cherries and grapes mm-hmm. and all sorts. But yeah. Is there something that drew you to that particular part of Provence? Were you looking for a house in that region when you came across yours? Well, we were living about 20 minutes north of here and we know we, we knew we wanted a return on our investment and that would be definitely in this area. It was very interesting for that. It was honestly luck of the draw. We were looking for anything in our price range in that mm-hmm. first little house we bought. It just happened to be in a very chic town called Mosan des Alpes, right in the regional park, which is stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just luck, honestly. And then this house... We uh, we wanted to stay in the LP because we uh, work here and I have lots of friends here now all of a sudden, mm-hmm. which is lovely, mm-hmm. um, which was hard to get in France. Probably the hardest thing, even for French people, when they move to different places, have a hard time making new friends. Yeah. But uh, yes, yeah, so we got lucky again, but it was two years searching for this house that we have now. Oh, so it's not really? easy. So how long yeah. have you been there now? Uh, three years throughout COVID. Thank goodness we moved right before COVID. If we had stayed in that tiny house, we probably would have killed each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. COVID was pretty tough for people. I was actually going to say in this post-COVID period, there is a fair bit of COVID burnout going on. And I'm hearing from people about how they just want to slow their life down or make some kind of significant change and perhaps follow their dreams or... 
you know, those sorts of things. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's considering moving to France and starting a renovation project like you're doing? Well, moving to France and starting a renovation project are two different animals. Um, But uh, moving to France in general, don't do what I did and go with an actual French contract. That's what you need to assimilate into society here. You mean a job? To get a bank account. Yes, but you need a French contract. It's like a, preferably a CDI that is right. the contract of gold. Right. <laughs> That's where you can get a mortgage, um, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And just, you need to learn the language. I know so many, especially older expats who don't learn the language. And I think it's a bit sad to not assimilate mm. at all. Um, but yeah. people do manage to live here entirely in English, uh, <laughs> but it's more difficult. Than yeah, I can't uh, say how. In Paris, more people speak English, but here there's actually quite a lot of people that still do not speak English, yeah. surprisingly. Yeah. I actually love that because it means that then I get to speak to them in French. A lot of the times when I've said exactly. this before and with some people on the podcast, that sometimes when French people work out that I'm speaking English, because as soon as I open my mouth, they know mm-hmm. that I'm not a native French speaker. And even when they see my name on something, which is Louise Prichard, they think initially that I'm French, but then when I open yes, my mouth, yeah. they know I'm not. And then <laughs> then when they work out I speak English, they want me to speak in English. I had one waiter who refused to serve me unless I spoke to him in English the whole time, and I wanted to practice my French. Well, sometimes they want to practice, right? <laughs> Yeah. So then you become the, yeah. <laughs> We're both trying to practice. I'm going, but what about me? And they're going, oh, no, no, yeah. no, no. English, English. Oh, very funny. Renovating advice that's quite tricky because um, there's so many different angles. Um, Robin is a contractor and he gets he comes up with a lot of the same issues with people all the time. Um, but a lot of times people don't actually read the report that is mandatory. Uh, it's all in French, but you can get it translated. And that is really useful. They assume that it's not, but it is. It tells you if there's a asbestos in the roof, if all the electrics need redoing, uh-huh. all this stuff. So it's actually quite good in France that you get that mandatorily done. Is and, that every uh, time you purchase a property, they have to do that? Yes. Yeah. Right. So that is quite good. But um, uh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've spoken to a number of people that renovate. All I can say is if somebody's thinking of doing that, Get onto your Instagram and your website. Go and follow other people who are doing that in other chateaus or barn conversions or just in regular mm-hmm. homes in France and look at what they're doing and really unpack what it would be like yes. for them on a daily basis. Yes. Really try to put yourself in those shoes and then see if you can actually do it. Because I know you, you know, you're much younger than I am. I know at my age, I like to think I can do some things. I don't know that I could do everything you do but I think I can. And then when I really look at it, I was looking at some of the stuff Robin was doing and I was going, oh, my giddy up, that is mental. I couldn't do that. Like, you know, he was curling yeah, himself up like a pretzel a in some spots. Think, yeah. what? <laughs> and I thought, no, I can't do that. And then, also having the language is going to be quite important because if you can't speak the language and you can't read those documents, as you said, it's going to be a little bit tricky sometimes with the renovation. Also, as an expat, I think it's important that you uh, ask, uh, don't just hire another expat who doesn't have French qualifications. For example, Robin has the French insurance mm-hmm. that you need to have as a French worker here. Yes. And a lot of expats don't have that. That means you're not covered, you know, and something also to keep in mind is if you do anything yourself on a property, you are liable for 10 years wow. after that's done. So 
Unlike, you know, United States and Canada, so you need to do things properly. Yes, it's 10 years, is it? 10 years you're liable for those works that you've done. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Not for me, but for someone else. So you obviously spend a lot of time around Provence in the south of France for work and even just relaxing, I'm sure. But do you have any other favourite regions of France that you like to visit? I haven't visited as many other regions as I would have liked. I mean, and if Alsace is beautiful, mm. we spent a, a Christmas in Alsace, which was really magical. Ooh. I love Paris. What's not to love about Paris? Yes, um, absolutely. But yes, I mean, we, I just went to the Loire Valley last week, but it was only for a day, so I really don't think that counts. Oh, it can count. <laughs> it can count. It's a day, it can count. It can a count. day for you is more than what most of us are getting. So you yeah, know, okay. yep, it's brilliant. Well, honestly, I'd, I'd love to. The Pyrenees, I've never been. Mm-hmm. I think this is more of a wish list. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. I think my heart is definitely in Provence, so I can't. I feel like I'm a traitor saying anything else. Yeah. <laughs> If I was in Provence like you, I don't think I'd need to go anywhere else most of the time. <laughs> no. I'd probably think that if I was settled in any region of France, though, to be fair. Like, I, I like them all. Everyone I've been to, I've just adored. So, And I haven't been to Alsace, but I am going to Alsace this year for Christmas. So that will oh, be, yeah. yeah, just before Christmas. Mm. So and, uh, I'll let actually, you know what I think of it after that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people here, they go to Corsica for their holiday. Oh. Um, so I always wondering. You know, if you live in a beautiful place, where do you go that's even more beautiful? And so we went for three weeks, and I have to say it is quite beautiful. It's mm. but it, rustic. And, oh, um, really? like, for example, in in our villages here, all the town names, as you enter the town, they have one sign in French, and then under it they have a sign in the original Provencal dialect. In Corsica, they're in Corsican first, and then in French under it and the French has bullet holes throughout the sign. <laughs> no. So that's how they feel. <laughs> but, wow. But, uh, yeah, very interesting place for sure. Yes. Oh, that's saying something, isn't it? That's not in all the guidebooks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. there are three questions that I ask in almost every episode of the Little Bells Francophiles podcast. Can you describe, I mean, Actually, I, I feel a little bit silly asking you this after all of the days that you've just described because every one of them seems perfect to me. But can you describe for me your perfect French day? Well, a perfect day for me anywhere would be probably waking up and having coffee in the garden with my love and checking on my tomatoes mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, going to the market, wandering the market, people watching um maybe a nice lunch out somewhere and then a long walk and then coming home and cooking oh how divine yes well i can see why (laughs) that just sounds exquisite and listeners can't see this but i can see the sun tumbling in from behind you through those beautiful big windows and the provence light bouquet of chilies yes And that beautiful Provençal light and hearing you talk about that perfect French day with that light coming in over the top of you, it's got a really calming feel to it. Mm -hmm. And it really makes me think about that slow living that I think a lot of people are craving right now. When you talk about your perfect French day like that, to me, that is the epitome of a slow-lived and well-lived life. Sounds quite gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) So 
you just talked about your chilies hanging over your shoulder, but tell me, what's your fave <laughs> French food to order if you're eating out or perhaps to cook at home? I'm a massive foodie, so I probably cannot say one thing. Um, in terms of cooking at home, we make a lot of daube in the winter, which is kind of, it's Provençal bœuf bourguignon, basically. Uh-huh. Uh, we make it with uh, beef cheeks often, but uh, the oh. traditional recipe is with bull. Uh-huh. Um, you can put prunes in at the end, which really makes the sauce kind of unctuous and delicious, and a bit of cinnamon and orange. Oh. Can you spell that for me? D-A-U-B-E. Daube. Oh. Yes. Sounds fabulous. Uh, I am very passionate about seasonal eating, and here we do it very stringently. So you can even tell at the farmer's markets week to week. I mean, everything is so ridiculously seasonal. And that's something, that was a learning curve that I had to learn a little coming here in, in terms of French people, it seems like they're born knowing the types of strawberries and when you're allowed to eat a guerriette versus a sifflorette mm. <laughs> strawberry. They look at you funny if mm. you're eating the wrong one a week in advance. It's considered to be ripe, which is quite funny. Um, but uh, I love a soupe au pistou, which is Provençal again, which is kind of like um, a stew with lots of garden summer veg, so types, different types of beans and courgette. Yeah. And then at the end, they put massive amounts of pea stew in it, which is basically Provencal pesto without, so it's pesto without the cheese. Oh, wow. So it's very delicious. I love soup à la berrigoule, which is artichoke and bacon soup, which is really oh. delicious. Um, I'm saying all Provencal stuff because I think people don't really know it as much. They, they no, don't. they don't. Do you know, I'm not just going to no. put one on the website. I'm going to put all three of those that you've just mentioned um, and I might have to get you to send me through a recipe that you know of for the ones that might be a little bit more difficult to find. I have too many. I could go on for days. I could go on. Oh, how fabulous. Oh, you need to do a cookbook. Ashley, what are you doing with your time? We need a cookbook out of you. I know. I actually rarely do recipes on my blog because I really want it to be perfect and I need to test it at least three times. I'm a little bit of a perfectionist and I often don't use recipes. I just kind of wing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like to just wing it and I just make stuff up as I go along. My husband, Paul, he uses a recipe most of the time and he's a really good cook. But I tend to just throw together what I feel like at the time and it, it mostly works out. But I really love when I've got fresh produce in the garden and I can bring that in and actually use it in the cooking. Then I'll just make up something. But, you know, so like you say, it's that it's that seasonal stuff. And we don't mm-hmm. tend to, in the big cities like where I am in Melbourne, we have little farmer's markets and we have, you know, things that you can buy that are seasonal. But really, if you are a supermarket shopper or even if you buy at the bigger markets, you'll have stuff mm-hmm. that's not seasonal at all. There is so much that's yeah. imported or grown in hot houses. We eat stuff regardless mm-hmm. of season to the point where now I think a lot of us have forgotten what season things are supposed oh, yeah, to be coming Yeah, a lot of people in. don't even know. That's for yeah. sure. For yeah. Sure. yeah. But I did find yeah. out for the first time ever, and not long ago, I don't know, 10 years ago, as an adult, 
that in France, that's where I found out that there are different kinds of strawberries. To me, a strawberry was a strawberry is a strawberry. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that they were different. Mm-hmm. And when I went to this market and they had all these different kinds and they were saying what the different kinds of strawberries were and they even looked slightly different and they said to me, you know, yeah. that one's more tart, that one's sweeter, and it depended on where they were grown. It was like it blew my mind. I thought, oh, my Absolutely. God, look at this. This is the world of proper food. This is what mm-hmm. we're missing when we become kind of, in some ways, we have a veneer of blandness over us when we just mm-hmm. shop in a supermarket, and it's really sad. That's, and I hear you talk about your Provencal food, and I go, oh, that's what <laughs> yeah. we need, some of that. <laughs> As fruit here is just have te- literally 10 times more flavour. It's such a shame when, you, when I go back to North America, it's just – outside of peach season you know that's about it (laughs) yeah that's That's, mm. it is a real shame tell me do you have any french music that you listen to well i can't really it's all kinds of bits that we listen to i suppose yeah i mean i enjoy julien doré or i love a i love a stromé yeah love stromé when I think of French music, I think of the music that was kind of first introduced to me when I first came here, which was actually kind of road tripping with Robin. Mm-hmm. And he had these very specific CDs in his car, which are kind of a little older now, but they're so it was um, kind of Zazzy, who's well known, yeah. or one that I have listened to is Barry. She only made one CD uh-huh. and she has these ridiculously kind of relaxing songs with kind of like kitchen noise and kids playing in the background. And it's just very um, beautiful and kind of about the simple life. And that's like some of my first introduction other than Ed of Piaf to French music. And that's kind of what I associate Ah. French music. Well, I'm compiling a Frenchy Spotify playlist for the Little Bells Francophiles listeners, and I think we might find a song from Barry to add to that. Do you know of one off the top of your head that I could add? Um, it's called um, Le Bonheur. Le yeah, Bonheur. Song. Yeah. Le Bonheur, which is the happiness, oui? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gorgeous. Honestly, it's so relaxing. <laughs> oh, we will pop that on the Little Bells Francophile Spotify playlist and it might be my new music to go to sleep to at night, I think, by the sounds of things, if it's yeah. calming and, you know, or when I'm in the bath where I just like to listen to music and block out the rest <laughs> of the world. That's what I'm going to have. Yes, perfect. Wait, wait. <laughs> Well, merci beaucoup for spending this time with us today, Ashley, and sharing your curious Provence story with us all. It's been a pleasure. Alors, c'est tout et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for another Little Bells Francophiles episode. I hope you're enjoying being transported to France via our podcast chats with some brilliant guests and their gorgeous French stories. To be notified when new episodes are released, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or follow Little Bells Francophiles on Insta. That's where you will also find lots of my personal French photos as well as some from our Little Bells Francophiles guests. You can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Francophile Fix, where I post little movies and clips to keep your Frenchy vibes going. For all of the links from today's chat, including the links for Ashley's Instagram and website, Curious Provence, as well as her fave music by Barry A. Atois. 
reset aujourd'hui. Head to the Lunavelle's Francophiles website to blog post number 78. Find my website link in the podcast show notes for today's episode. Come and join me next time on the Lunavelle's Francophiles and together we can stay connected to one of our fave destinations, France. Au revoir et merci encore, Ashley. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir de moi, Louise Fichard. Bon journée et à bientôt, mes amis.